Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Well, Father, we thank you for today, God. I pray, Lord, that despite the heat and uh, that we would still find joy in this morning. Uh, well, we're definitely grateful for air conditioning. And God, I ask that you would just help us clear our minds today and just focus on what you want us to take away this morning. God, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth, your word, um, and that we would let it to be a, a refreshing thing, a time of to be renewed. And God, I pray that for uh, you know, the offering that we'll receive later, Lord, that you would just bless it, Lord, that you would multiply it and use it for your purposes in this community, Lord. That we would be good stewards with it and we would honor you with what is given, Lord. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start uh, my message off this morning with a short little poll. So if you'll just indulge me uh, for a second. But when it comes to Ikea, you guys know Ikea? You know, some of you have been lost in Ikea. Um, you know, that has sent a search and rescue party for you because you took a wrong turn. Um, there's only kind of like two ways about Ikea. I think for the most people, it's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. You either love it or you hate it, okay? And so for those of you who love Ikea, just, just go ahead and raise your hand real quick. How many of you just love Ikea? Yes, yes, I love Ikea. I didn't always love Ikea, but I love Ikea. How many of you are on that other spectrum? You loathe Ikea, like, you would much rather just get beat up in an alley than have to go to that store um, because it's just painful enough. Well, and I think the reason why a lot of us hate Ikea is we've all experienced that, that you know, that assembly gone bad, you know, scenario, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you go to Ikea, I remember the first time I went, we got this little desk and, you know, you get home and, you know, it was big at the store, but now it's like the six foot desk is like in this four inch box and like, is it like cardboard? You know, you're, you're trying to figure out how you're going to put this thing together, you open it up. And they're the instructions, but they're like in Swedish. And, and I don't speak Sweden um, or Swedish, whatever it is they speak. I don't speak it. And so you're studying these pictures, trying to get this desk correct. You think you've got it right. It looks straight and sturdy. And then you look back. Like, Wait a minute. What are these extra parts? Where are they supposed to go? And, and so you, and then you realize, oh, that, that hinge is on upside down, that door is upside down, that drawer is upside down, or, or the worst is, have you ever got one of those bookshelves that have like, you know, 500 little cubbies in it, you know, so you put all your grandmother's knickknacks in there and dust them forever. And, and then you get like one shelf turned around so like the, the, you get the, the particle board grain instead of like the, you know, the veneer wood grain that you're supposed to have. And you're just like, oh, no. And so you have to go through the joy of starting over, right? It's a painful process. And the truth was, is I didn't love Ikea first until I learned how to channel my inner Gustafsson or my inner Sven, to, you know, before I learned how to think Swedish when it comes to, you know, cardboard furniture. So, uh, but now, now I love it. And, but I remember there was a show that I used to watch called The Amazing Race. Anybody remember that show? I don't know if it's still on. It's been years since I've watched it. But I remember one season, they had to go through Sweden. And sure enough, they sent the teams to Ikea. Like the, the IQ, like the big, you know, you know, where the meatballs, you know, where the horses are slaughtered and all that stuff. You know, it's like right there. Just kidding. Partially. Um, and so they had to go to Ikea and they had one of two tasks. So that one of the team members either had to search through, you know, the conglomerate store Ikea to find two small little products that were randomly placed somewhere in the store. Okay. Or they could just put an Ikea desk together. 
without the instructions. And they had a sample right there. Now, how many of you guys would have been like, dude, I'm so all over that desk. I'm not, I'm not walking around that stupid store. I'll just take the desk with no instructions. Because you probably naturally do that anyways, right? You, you get into something like, ah, I don't need instructions. I'll just put it together. You know, I'll figure this thing out. Because after all, who normally does this? Men, men do it, yeah. We do it, we do it, we all do it. We ignore the directions and we just plunge right in. Because after all, I mean, directions are for people who like to get it right the first time. That's not us. Or, or directions are for people who don't know the joy of reassembling. It was actually funny watching that show, because you, you know, you always get those guys in that show that are like so high stress, you just think their head's going to pop off at some point because, you know, you introduce a little bit of stress and you think their world is falling apart and they're literally taking these desks apart, starting over. And I remember just laughing, like, this is hilarious. Or directions are for people who are busy and just don't have the time to start over. Okay, we have that luxury. So we love reassembling things. Now, whether you've had assembly gone wrong or your own Ikea experience, parents, you know what this is like, right? Christmas Eve. Are you with me? Okay, kids, you may not know this, but Santa only brings toys together half assembled. Your parents have to assemble the rest of them. And so Christmas Eve comes along, you know, we've got 30 minutes till sunrise, you know, and you're scrambling, trying to get things together. Forget the instructions, and, you know, pretty soon your kid wakes up. And it's why some of you kids, you didn't know this, but you thought there really was a construction Barbie. Your dad just couldn't figure out how to get the roof on the house. Okay? Or, 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 or you, you got that bike, and that back tire was wobbling. And your dad told you, well, son, you know, this bike was meant for kids that have an extraordinary sense of balance. And that's why you got this one. You know, me and Santa kind of have a, a deal where I've pretty much made my preferences known. Santa, I like two things for my kids. Cash or clothes makes life really simple. So if we could do that, that'd be great. Now, whether he obliges, that's a whole other thing. So if you haven't figured it out yet, this series that we're starting today is about starting over. And we have subtitled it, How to Ensure Next Time Won't Be Like Last Time. Now, this is funny when it's a desk or it's a kitchen chair, but it's not funny when it's life. Because when we mess up in life and we have to start over at something, there's a lot of pain that can come with it. You know, and maybe you're here today and, and you have failed at, at a relationship or you're about to start over in some kind of relationship. Or maybe it's a marriage. You know, you failed at a marriage and you're thinking about getting remarried. You know, maybe it was a job or, or business adventure. You, you kind of got slighted or you got forced out whether you deserved it or not. And, and you're thinking of either changing careers or you're thinking of starting a new business venture. But you, you just went through this total failure or, or, or betrayal not too long ago. Or maybe it's school. You know, maybe you, you bombed out of school. You totally flunked out of college. But you think you got to get right back in. It could be something else. And let's be honest, sometimes the things that we go through that we fail at, it's not always our fault. It could be other people's fault. Well, I mean, let's just be honest. Most of the time it is other people's fault, right? It wasn't you, it was them. It's always them. In fact, it's mostly, most of the time it is definitely other people's fault. And, and maybe you're here and you're starting over with something like that. But here's something that I've observed in life. And I try to continually learn from other people who've gone ahead of me in life as well. Is that we learn from our mistakes the fastest when it comes to the areas that matter the least. So whether it's video games or board games or sports or hobbies, it's like we jump in there and we get something wrong. and Ooh, ooh I'm not going to do that again. And we learn really, really quickly. I've got friends that are like real big board game people. You know, they get their geek on. And like 
They are the super nice people. They're great. But you get them in front of a board game, their heads start spinning. They grow fangs. They start foaming at the mouth. You know, and they're thinking of like three and four layers of, you know, strategy. And, and I'm that guy that holds up the card and go, what's this one for? What's this one do again? Oh, okay. Needless to say, I don't get invited to many of those board game days. Um, and if you're here and you're one of my friends and you're a board game person, it's not you that I'm talking about. It's the other person you're thinking of. So just to make sure that we're clear on that. Or sports. Like, I'm a big sports person. So growing up as a kid, I loved sports. And whenever I would learn a new sport, like, I would quickly try to adapt. And it wasn't just, I, you know, I wanted to be great so I could be the hero or the all-star or whatever. I wanted to find out what position on that team I would be the most effective at. Like, I wanted to have the best contribution I could to that team. And so I would focus on, on that, and then I would just focus on getting better at that one position. It didn't matter whether it was the quarterback or the setter or whatever the, the position may be, you know, the goalkeeper, whatever the case may be. I focused on where I thought I could make the best contribution. And so I would learn quickly. You know, and again, for some of you, it may be a hobby, it may be putting vehicles together. If that's you, I, I need your number because I'm terrible at it. And it could be something else, sewing, fly fishing, you name it. But when it's something that we enjoy or are passionate about, man, we learn from our mistakes really, really fast. However, we tend to repeat our mistakes in the areas that matter most. So our finances, our relationships, our, our parenting, or our leadership, or you know, romance, or, or, or some other area. And, and we find ourselves repeating those same mistakes over and over again. And we, we always sit back and we ask that question, you know, when will I learn and it's a great question. But the problem is, in the areas that matter most, before we've really had time to quote-unquote learn, we're just jumping right back in and making those same mistakes over and over. And the reason that next time is probably going to look a lot like last time is because there's a common denominator. And this may offend some of you, but the common denominator, when you look at the scope of your life, all your failures, your traumas, your dramas, and anything else you want to describe in there, the common denominator is you. If you look at any store in your life where there's been disappointment, you're right there. You're right in the middle of it. And wherever you go, you're right along with you. You're there. Any adventure you jump into, there's you. And so the common denominator with all of our failures and all of my failures is you. And then for me, it's me. And so we keep following ourselves around. So whether you're starting over financially, relationally, academically, uh, professionally, romantically, I really think that this series is going to be helpful. But over the next three weeks, you got to come back and you got to listen to all the messages. And it won't just be me speaking, so if you get sick of me, you're like, okay, I have something better to look forward to. But here's what's going to happen today. Today, we're going to kind of take a different direction. And instead of saying what you need to do, we're going to dispel three myths that typically cause us to continue to make bad decisions and drive us in that direction in life. And so this is going to be more of kind of like a pop psychology message, if you will. There's going to be one verse. If you're a big Bible verse person, I apologize. You can go home and read Exodus later after, after lunch. But today we're going to have one verse. But we're going to talk about the truth and the impact of what that verse has to say. And so as a pastor, I have had the privilege and sometimes the unfortunate um, circumstances of having a ringside seat into people's lives if they have attempted to start over after some kind of self-imposed failure. And, and I'll meet with these people or they'll meet with other people and then they'll go out and do exactly what I or other people told them not to do because that would not work. And you always just step back and as pastor, you're like, why? There's enough pain in life. Let's try to avoid all the unnecessary pain. 
And really that's what this series is about. It's kind of like we see this stuff all the time. And it's not because we're perfect at it, but we see enough to kind of go, let's stop making these same mistakes over and over again. So the reason why these people continue to make this mistake is because they assume that they've learned. Oh, I've learned my lesson. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to let that happen again. Or they're just lonely. I I, I can't take this alone. I've got to get back out there in the game. Or they're certain. I know that this this opportunity is is golden. I've got to jump on this. Or they're just confident. I can handle it. I'm in control. I've got this. But the truth is they end up being dead wrong. And the next time around ended up looking just like the last time. And here's why. Because they've bought into three myths. And the first myth is this. The experience myth. The experience myth says experience makes you wiser. If that were the case, then why are some of our biggest moguls in business filing bankruptcy a second, a third, and a fourth time? Why are some of our politicians getting caught in that second, third, or fourth scandal? Experience doesn't make you wiser. Experience just makes you older. It may make you madder. It may make you sadder. It may make you poorer. It may make you you more jaded or more distrusting. But it doesn't necessarily make you wiser. In fact, I used to get so frustrated when I would talk with certain family members or, or, or young people that I would counsel. And I'd say, look, man, you're heading in this direction. And there's a definite direction that you're heading. And there's this consequence right here. It's waiting for you. And it's not unique to you. Anybody that heads down that direction is going to suffer that consequence. So what you need to do is turn and go in another direction. And they'll always tell me the same thing, and it baffles me. Yeah, but you know what? I just got to learn for myself. Well, that's stupid. Here, here's a paperclip. Put it in your mouth and stick it in that socket right there. I ain't doing that. Why not? Don't you need to learn for yourself? (laughs) See, you're smart enough to figure it out with that. Why can't you figure it out with that? Because the truth is, is you're arrogant. You think you're in control, and you're not. Man, we could avoid so much unnecessary pain if we could figure that out. But here's the truth. Evaluated experience makes us wiser. You know, whenever my kids get in trouble, I send them to timeout. And really the timeout is for me so they don't kill them um, or, you know, ground them for like, you know, eternity. But when they come back and and we, we reconcile, I always ask them three questions. In fact, I asked my kids, like, do you know what the three questions are? And, you know, they tell me, my, my middle-born, who, like, hardly ever gets in trouble, he's like, there's questions? You know, like, no, oh, you sweet kid. You'll learn. Um, but the three questions do this. The first question is, what did you do wrong? Because what I want them to do right away is own, own your part of it. Own the experience. You did something wrong, own it. Tell me what you did. The second question is, why is it wrong? You know, I I don't want you to just be able to recite the laws of of the dank household to me. I want to know why it's wrong. There's a reason why we say that's wrong. It offended somebody. It was disrespectful. It hurt somebody. Whatever the case may be. And then the third question is, so what are you going to do next time? Now, these are not my questions. I'm not that smart. I stole them from somebody else at a parenting conference. But I took them. I said, those are mine now. And so I'll ask them those three questions. And what I'm doing is I'm helping them to evaluate their experience. So that they set themselves up for success the next time they're faced with that situation. Now, the truth is, is they're probably going to create the same infraction over and over again. And we'll go through the same evaluated experience. At some point, though, they will learn. And they will know that they've run out of excuses because they know. But 
Experience alone doesn't guarantee that next time will be better. The second myth is this, the no better myth. The no better myth says that since I know better, I'll do better. And the assumption here is, well, since I know better, I automatically have the ability to do better. Or I I know that for certain I will do better. But we know that that is not true. Parents, how many times have you uttered this statement? Kids, how many times have you heard your parents utter this statement? When you've done something stupid and your parents say, you should have known better. You should know better. And sometimes we've even said that to ourselves. I should know better. Because knowing doesn't necessarily equal doing better. As a pastor, I see so many people who know a lot about scripture and theology, but they don't really do Christianity very well. So knowing better doesn't equal doing better. How many of us know how to be healthier? Yet what? (laughs) I'm guilty of that one. So knowing better does not equal doing better. Knowing better does not equal the ability to do better. What we have to do is we have to have a plan and we have to stick to it. And when it comes to areas of of character issues and morality, the truth is, is we have to be surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to do better. Because if it's on us, we're selfish. We're not going to do better. We're going to do what we feel like doing. Now, the third myth is this, and this is kind of a big one. It's the time myth. And the time myth says this, that time is against me. i got to get in there. I, I need to get moving. I need to get back up and get on my feet. We say things like this, I'm not getting any younger. You know, when it comes to dating, that really means I'm, I'm, I'm losing my marketability. You know, I'm not getting any younger. Or we may say things like, opportunities are coming and going. You know, we're looking for that next big strike. And so we're like, oh, these opportunities are coming and going. I can't just sit back and not do anything. Or, Parents, how many times have you heard people, uh, your kids say this? Other people my age are dot, dot, dot. Other people my age are going to a private school and, you know, the Ivy League colleges. Other people my age are driving a brand new car. Other people my age who are only 10 have cell phones. You know, it's like you, you, you fill in the blank. Other people my age are, or my friends are all, my friends are all finishing college. My friends are all getting married. My friends are all dating. Therefore, I should be, Right? And I've known so many people who have suffered the consequences of a divorce. They've gone through that heartbreak, and it's not been pretty. And I've watched them get remarried. And if I'm being honest, some of them, they've gone, they've gone well. And some of them, not so well. And then there are those that go exceedingly above and beyond what anyone expected. And when I've evaluated their stories, along with the stories where it did not go so well, there was this common thread that I saw. And the common thread was that they bought into this truth, which is that time is your friend. It's not against you. It's your friend. And time is your friend because it takes time to regain your balance. When you get knocked over in life, you don't just pop right back up and are perfectly erect. You're wobbly for a while. You're like, what the heck just happened? You know, time is your friend because it takes time for your emotions to settle down. You know, when you've been wounded or betrayed, you don't wake up the next morning and go, yeah, we're over that. Let's move on. I mean, I've actually had nightmares where my wife has broken my heart in my nightmare. And like, I'll be like soiled for like the whole morning. I can't believe you did that to me, honey. She's like, it was your dream. I didn't do it. 
You know, but she has, you know, she's this engineer, so she has that ability to just be over it. I'm like, this is not fair. And then, well, you know, we'll also be upset about something. She's like, are you still upset about that? I'm like, don't you realize, honey, I'm the woman in this relationship. <laughs> and time is your friend because with time, the pain begins to subside. It takes time for the pain to go away. And, and the truth is, is that when we're suffering pain, pain causes us to be self-absorbed. You know? Like, how many of you big, strong men, how many, how many of you become pretty self-absorbed when you have a little bit of pain or you're sick, right? You know, you're like, oh, man. And that's all you do is bellyache about your pain or your discomfort, you know? Because pain makes us self-absorbed. You've never been in a community group or something and, and people in there, they're just talking about how miserable their life is, you know? And they talk for the entire time. And they go home and like, man, this group was great. Everybody listens to me. Everybody gets it. And everybody's like, man, that person would not shut up. Because people who are experiencing pain are self-absorbed. And self-absorbed people make bad decisions all the time. They make bad decisions. So you need that time to get past that pain. And time is your friend because with time comes clarity. And this is huge because when you get to step back and kind of look at the events that, that kind of wrecked you from beginning to end, you're able to, okay, okay here's where things started out rosy. Like we were all in. Oh, I missed that. That was a red flag. I should have seen that. And over here, things were getting bad, but I was in denial. I didn't want to accept the reality of it. And there's where it ended. You're able to see it. And you're able to learn from it. And you're able to appreciate what you contributed to the problem. And you'll be able to hear things later that you just can't hear now. Or when you're right in the midst of that pain, you're just, there's some things you can't hear. Or there'll be people that you'll be able to hear from that when you're in the midst of that pain, you just, you just can't hear from them. Now, there are several stories in the Bible when it comes to starting over. I figured this is a church. We might want to mention the Bible. And so here are some stories of people who started over. They did not get it right the first time. They had to start it over. You know, Moses. Moses went from being an adopted son of the Pharaoh to being the savior of the people of Israel. But it didn't happen right away. He failed the first time out. David was anointed to be king. And so, you know, he, he, he was in the, the, the service of Saul. And that kind of went sour. And, and he had to come back and, and be king much later. Or, or Paul. Paul was very zealous for God. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he, but he set out to be the persecutor of the church. And eventually he became the greatest church planter. But it didn't happen right away. He had to start over. And as you look at the stories of, of these three men, or you look at the stories of other people who got it right the second time, and there are at least two things that we see in common with regards to their story. And the first is this, that all of them experienced some kind of desert or isolation period in which they were changed on the inside. They grew. They healed. They got connected with God. You know, we look at Moses. You know, he thought he was going to be the Hebrew hero. He ended up killing a guy, and then he ended up fleeing to the desert where he was alone and isolated. Or David. David thought, you know, I've got mad harp skills, and, you know, things are going well for me. I'm going to be the king. You're living a great life. I'm going to have your job pretty soon. And he said, hmm, I think I'm going to kill you instead. And he chased David into exile. And then during that time in exile, David grew up a lot. In fact, if you read the book of Psalms, a lot of those Psalms he wrote while he was in that exile. 
And he learned how to just be real and authentic with God. You know, people talk about David being the you know, man after God of the heart. Well, it's not because he was perfect. It's because he learned just to be genuine with God. Or we look at Paul. You know, Paul was fighting the cause of God, but what he didn't realize is he was fighting against God. And God literally had to say, dude, what are you doing? You think you're helping me, you're fighting against me. Poof, you're blind. And I don't know about you, I've never experienced blindness. I've tried to maneuver through my house sometimes when it's pitch dark. You know, it's kind of one of these where you cover a deal and you're trying not to step on Legos or like matchbox car airplanes, you know, because those things really hurt. And I can only imagine how lonely and isolated a person who is blind feels. Like you could really be in a room of about a thousand people and feel completely alone because you can't see what's going on. Now, I'm just assuming that. Someone who's blind may tell you otherwise. But Paul had to experience that isolation to hear clearly from God. God got his attention in a pretty dramatic way. And the second thing that is pretty common in everybody's story is that God made them wait. Moses was in the desert for 40 years. Now, for those of you who are thinking about jumping back in the dating game, you're like, well, that's not encouraging. (laughs) I want to wait 40 years. But he needed that time. You know, while David was in exile, before he was restored as the king, you know, historians argue between 8 and 15 years. I'll let them argue. I'll just take the range. Or with Paul, even though he was blind for a few days, and then, you know, several weeks later, he began sharing his own conversion story, it took him 14 years before he was reconciled to the church that he was persecuting. You know, before he had a chance to meet John and Peter and, and, and to really give his story and, and to be accepted as one of them, there was some time in between there for obvious reasons. He killed their friends. But each of these characters and each of the people that we know of their real stories, they all emerged with this divine destiny and an abiding humility. And that one is important because we don't really embrace that character trait in our culture very much. Humility is not one that we put at the top of the list, but it is probably the most key character trait when it comes to really healthy individuals and really impactful leaders in this world. You know, so people who get this right, they emerge with those same two things. So that destiny, that God has something for them, that they're gonna re- he's going to redeem their past, he's going to redeem their failures or whatever the case may be. You know, they, they know that something good will come from it. And so they start looking for that good. They'll say things like, you know, I'm glad that this happened. And you're like, what? No, 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 no. I'm not glad that I went through that. I wouldn't want to do it again. But I'm so glad of where I am now because of it. There's a deeper appreciation. There's a, there's a, a maturity about that person because of what they went through. You know, when I went to college right out of high school, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I had a similar experience where... I went to college, and I learned within the first week, when you don't show up to class, they don't call your home and tell your parents. You're like, this is great. And so I was off playing volleyball or doing what other dumb things 18-year-olds do. And, of course, I, I was going to fail all my classes, and by the grace of one professor, he said, Dude, just, just withdraw. You know, at least it won't affect your GPA. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, we get to keep your money, but, but you won't fail. I'm like, oh, that's great. Oh, wait, i got to tell my dad this. And so my dad was like, yeah, well, I'm disappointed. You need to get a job because you're not getting more money out of me. And by the way, you can't live here. And so I had five options, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, or Coast Guard. Um, 
And I went with Air Force because I heard they worked the least. And it's what I grew up in, so it's what I knew the most. And so I had to give the next four years of my life doing something that I really didn't enjoy so that I, I could earn the right to go back to school. But you know what? I, I wouldn't trade that experience because God did some pretty miraculous things in my life. He changed me. I grew up. I met my wife. And, and, and when I went back to school, you better believe I nailed it. Because I had to earn that right back. But I had to have that isolation period to grow up. And a lot of times we all need that time before we start over. And the second thing, again, is that humility, that abiding confidence in God rather than in themselves. Because if, let's face it, if we're honest, in round one, before we, you know, fail, we feel very much in control. We're absolute confident. You know, we're going to go to the University of Iraq, and I'm going to end school early and graduate early because, you know, after all, Iraq, and I'm going to meet the perfect spouse, and she's going to complete me, just like Jerry Maguire. And we're going to have the perfect family and our kids are never going to fight and they're going to eat anything that we put at the dinner table for them. They're always going to use their manners. They're always going to be respectful. They're going to make their beds every day. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to start a business and we're going to make so much money. We're going to be so successful. Pretty soon we're not even going to have to work. Other people will run our business for us and we'll just sit back and enjoy life. And the reality is in round one, when we're dreaming it up, when we're assuming the way it's going to be, the center is usually us. But people who get this right, they know that it's not about them. They know that there's a bigger picture, a God picture. They fit into that picture. They get to enjoy the joys of being a part of that story, but it's not about them. And so here's what I know for sure. Here comes your your Bible verse, your one verse, so make sure you write it down. So Paul, who had his own dramatic starting over experience, says this in Romans 8.28. He says, and we know that in all things, another way of saying that is every circumstance. We know that in every circumstance, whatever your failure is, you plug that in, whatever that was, that in all things, God works. Another way to think of it is that God redeems. We know that in every circumstance you've been through, God can redeem that for the good of those who love him. There's the catch. For those who love him, which means that there's surrender to him. That there's that abiding humility there. So we know that in every circumstance, God redeems for the good of those who are surrendered to him, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, his redeeming purpose. There's that divine destiny. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about something much bigger. And I really believe that next time can be better than last time. Whatever that next thing is. But it's not because you want it to be. It's going to be because you plan for it to be. And it's going to take more than experience in knowing better. And you can't rush it because time is your friend. And so the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three things that you must do to ensure that that next time you get it right. And if you allow him to, I really believe that God will bring good from the failure of round one. And for some of you, it may be round 20. It doesn't matter. God can bring good out of that, whether it was your doing or not. So I want next time to be better than last time. And I want you to give God that opportunity to redeem your past. So if you can, just for the next three weeks after this, just hit pause on on anything that you're thinking of jumping back into, whether it's going back to college, whether it's starting a new relationship, or whether it's getting remarried. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm just saying pause. 
And let's walk through these things that we need to learn so that we get it right on the next time. Can you do that with me? All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, we just thank you for today, God. I pray that you would just take the truths of this message and just firmly plant them in our hearts, God. Help us to walk out of here with that sense of destiny. What are we going to do tomorrow to set us up for success in the future? And God, that you would begin opening up our hearts to evaluate our experiences, that over the next three weeks, we would get a clear picture of what we've been through and what we can learn from that, Lord, and how, by the guiding of your Holy Spirit, that we can be successful at the next attempt. And so, Holy Spirit, come and have your way with us. Help us to surrender our desires and our needs and our wants to you so that we get it right. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, I release you out into the heat. Go and be sweaty. If you need prayer, come on up here. Uh, We have people from our uh, ministry team who can come up and pray with you. Um, Otherwise, have a great week.